0: We are so excited to have uh, the team from uh, Adult and Teen Challenge out of Buffalo, New York. If you've never been here when they've been here, this will strengthen and encourage your hearts, I promise. It's going to be good. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome their director, Dave Benyak. And uh, yeah, please.
1: Praise the Lord. How many people are excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? We love, we love being able to come out and visit different churches as part of what we do as a ministry. But we really love coming out and spending time here at Pioneer Christian Fellowship. Thank you, Pastor Jeff and Jody and the congregation here for having us and being willing to sow into the ministry of Buffalo with Dalton Teen Challenge. There's a scripture that comes to mind as we visit churches and as, as I see churches and individuals who are willing to labor alongside of us, and that is a scripture in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Philippi, I am certain of this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And us as Christians, when we read the Bible, this might be something that you're, that you're just hearing for the first time. We have a tendency to look at all Scripture, at how they pertain to us as individuals, although there are a lot of Scriptures in the Word of God that, that assure us of the accomplished work of Christ on Calvary's cross and that we can be certain of our salvation. That Scripture is not talking about that. When you look at that portion of scripture, what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, the work that he is certain of is the, the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi striving together for the gospel. The word in the original language is koinonia, and that is fellowship with one another with the same goal in mind, and that is to hear the gospel proclaimed and to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. And that's how I feel that our relationship is with Pioneer Christian Fellowship. We know as a ministry that we wouldn't be able to do what it is that we've been called to do if it wasn't for churches like this, to come alongside of us and support us as we endeavor to reach individuals caught in the bondage of drug addiction and alcoholism. So thank you for serving alongside of us and supporting us as we reach out to those who are sick and suffering. Thank you. Let's give yourselves a round of applause. Like Pastor Jeff said, my name is Dave Benyak and I have been granted the privilege and opportunity to serve as the program director Of Buffalo Adult and Teen Challenge. For those of you who are not familiar with the program, Teen Challenge is a 12-month faith-based discipleship program that helps individuals who struggle with life-controlling issues. We cater specifically to men that struggle with drug addiction and alcoholism. We believe... We believe that it is the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will set an individual free from the sin of drug addiction and alcoholism. We believe that once an individual experiences the tangible presence of God, that they will be set free and able to live their God-given destiny and pursue the things of the Lord. Amen? So, so so we don't teach behavioral modification, we teach life transformation. So everything we do within the ministry of Teen Challenge is catered towards Uh, helping individuals establish relationship with Jesus Christ. We teach the men how to live in relationship with Jesus Christ because we believe that being clean and sober is simply a byproduct of healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. So everything that we do on a day-to-day basis is geared towards accomplishing that goal. Teen Challenge, a little bit of history. If you're familiar with the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, that is the story of how The ministry of Teen Challenge started in 1958. There was a young country preacher named David Wilkerson uh, who believed the Lord was calling him to deeper relationship with him while pastoring a church in rural Pennsylvania. David Wilkerson made the commitment to get rid of his television set and the time that he would normally spend watching TV at night he was devoting himself to the things of the Lord. So one night while alone in his study he came across an article in a magazine And what that article was, it was a picture of a a hand-drawn picture of a scene in a New York City courthouse. And in that picture, there were eight boys that were on trial for the murder of a young man named Michael Farmer. Michael Farmer had polio. These eight boys beat him to death as a part of a gang initiation. And now they were on trial for the crimes that they committed. As David Wilkerson looked at that picture... What he said is that he could see the despair. The artist was able to capture the despair in those boys' eyes. And in that moment, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to David and told him, go to New York City and help those boys. So we got in his car. He went to New York City, and he was met by a uh, unaccepting New York City judge who threw him immediately out of the courtroom. And outside of that courtroom, there was a picture taken of David holding his Bible. And the next day, he was in the newspaper, and the headline said, Bible-wielding preacher gets thrown out of New York City courthouse. David Wilkerson at that time got back in his car, drove back to Pennsylvania, believing that he had failed the call of God upon his life. But what David did is he got on the phone and he called his father and he called his grandfather and he began to share how he believed he failed the call of God. And those men gave him counsel. They told him, David, you have not failed the call of God, you simply need to persevere. You need to continue to walk in what it is and pursue that which you believe God has called you to walk in. And David did. He went back to New York City and he founded the first Teen Challenge in 1958. And the testimony of David Wilkerson is tremendous because it's the testimony of what God can do with one single man's obedience. One single man's obedience in 1958, planning a Teen Challenge... In Brooklyn, New York, the fruit of that, 65 years later, is over 1,200 centers in the United States and over 1,500 centers. It's constantly growing, so it's, I haven't looked it up recently, but it was 1,500 centers Over 120 different countries. Teen Challenge is single-handedly the most successful drug and alcohol program in the world. And it's because we believe in a power that's greater than someone could put in a substance or drink out of a bottle. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the ability that it has to transform a life. Amen? Amen. And that is the ministry of Teen Challenge. Um, What we're going to do now is I'm going to have the men come up and they are going to share in song, in testimony... So gentlemen, if you could begin making your way up. What what is important to us as a ministry in the body of Christ is that, that you guys understand that everybody within the body of Christ understands that you do not have to step outside of the body of Christ to get your loved ones help. If, they, if you know people who are struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism, you can send them our way, and there is a place within the body of Christ that has been established by God where they can receive treatment. Amen? So I say this all the time when we sing at churches. We are by no means a professional choir. This is just a group of guys that are going to come up here and sing about the goodness of God. And the, the more involved that you are, the better it is that they are going to sing. So I encourage you to stand and sing along. You'll know the songs. And if you are disappointed with the way they sound, it's half your fault because you didn't get up and help them.
0: singing songs of redemption, you were the time I ran away, you were louder than my shame, and now where would I be without you, where would I be, Jesus, you were the voice in the desert, never gave up on me. You were my testimony. Oh. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You were my testimony. Oh. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. Is my testimony, oh, you were the Lord in the desert, calling me out in the desert, fighting my battles for me, You were my rescue story, lifting me up from the ashes, carrying my soul from death to life.
1: Like Dave said, not only did we come to worship with song, but also with testimony. So the brother that I'm going to call on first tomorrow is actually his three-month mark.
2: So Ray
0: Rossler, come testify of the goodness of God. Thanks, Matt.
3: Morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Ray Rossler. I'm from Queens, New York. I'm 38 years old, and like he said, I'm three months tomorrow free of drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, um, everything. There's a lot of people here I'm like (laughs) nothing ever goes as planned so I'm just gonna wing it Um, I had a good life growing up had two good parents Um, you know I lived a life of sin I never had a relationship with God or Jesus Christ at all I mean I did I was raised Catholic but it wasn't the same as this this is totally different like I don't have to kneel get up kneel so I you know, went through college, played baseball, got hurt, and that's when I got introduced to painkillers really for the first time. Um, so I ended up getting off of them about 10 years ago. It turned into a heroin addiction. And then um, you know, I had 10 years clean, roughly, and I still was living a life of sin, even though I thought I was living a good life. I did not have a relationship with him at all. Um, I relapsed during COVID. I lost my mother of COVID. She was a nurse. She called her helping people. And my addiction came back with a vengeance. And I just drank myself numb and did cocaine every day, all day. Had a drink in the morning. I mean, one of my buddies in the program nicknamed me the Shaker of Rochester because I was like this when I came in. Um, So long story short, the only thing that helped me was a teen challenge, period. I did not want to come here when I was told I was coming here. And I fought it tooth and nail. I said, not a chance am I going. Best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life, by far. Um, these brothers keep me accountable. The staff keeps me accountable. Um, I'm learning to pick up my cross every day. I'm, I'm new. I'm only three months into learning Christianity. And it's, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. It really is. Like, I've been missing this my whole life. And it's like, finally, that pit in my stomach is, is filled. It's getting filled, you know? Like, I had a career in drums. I thought that was awesome. I got the tour, and like, I was always missing something. And this fills it. It's crazy. It's really nuts. <laughs> like I'm sorry, but it's true, you know? I love these guys behind me. Like, I look forward to the fellowship that we have. It's just it's nothing like I've ever experienced in my life. They're real friends who really have your back. And we're all family in Jesus Christ now, you know? And it's awesome. So the the scripture I stand on is Psalms 116.8. For the Lord has delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. And thank you all very much for hearing my story today.
0: you pass the point of weary does your burden away in heavy is it all too much to carry
1: let me tell you
0: about my jesus do you feel that empty feeling the shame's done all it's healing. you're desperate for some healing let me tell you about my Way where there ain't no way, for rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is good. And the good music, I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. And hallelujah, 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 amen, amen. Who can wipe away the tears from broken dreams and wasted years until the past to disappear? Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you were going on. You about my Jesus he makes the way where there ain't no way he rises up from an empty grave I ain't no sinner that he can't save let me tell you about my Jesus his love is strong and his grace is good and he could use it I know that he can do for you what he's done for me let me tell you about my Jesus And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 Who would take my cross to Calvary? Pay the price for all my guilty? Who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus, oh. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty gate. Ain't no sooner than he can say, let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is deep. I know that he can do for you. And now they live-
1: Gentlemen, y'all can be seated. As Ray was saying, it's, it's more than just friends. It's a family. So I'm going to introduce another member to the family, but not only is he a member
2: of the family, he is a staff member at our Rochester campus, and he is very dear to me because when I was a student in the program, he was also a student in the program. He came up right alongside of me. Mr. Victor Rodriguez, please testify the goodness of God. Good morning, church family. My name is Victor Rodriguez. I am from Long Island, New York. I'm 28 years old. Uh, just like Ray, I grew up uh, with a good family, but I was raised Catholic and uh, <laughs> So I grew up learning about God. However, I had a hard time believing that he loved me. I had a hard time believing that I was forgiven because of all the things that I had done growing up, which caused me to go down a very dark path of addiction. And yet he was always there. Somehow, some way, he was always there. But when I was 17 years old, my sister actually tried to get me an adult and teen challenge. But I was rebellious. I didn't want to. I wasn't ready. Ten years later, it got so bad to the point that I asked the Lord to either, you deliver me from this addiction or you take my life because I can't do it. I can't do it. I wanted to die. And now I, here I am, a year and a half, free from addiction. And now I have the opportunity to pour the same love that God has for me into other people. I now have the opportunity and the privilege to proclaim his faithfulness. He had mercy on me, and I know I don't deserve to be here, but I'm grateful because (laughs) there's one more prayer I made. Lord, I ask that you make me into the man that you want me to be. And that's when things got hard. (laughs) But I'm so grateful for adult and teen challenge. I'm so grateful for my brother, my brothers. You know, I get I get new brothers almost every week. I get to serve. I get to share the love of Christ and i pray that i'm able to glorify him that's all i want to do is glorify him for saving my life the verse i stand on is romans 828 and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love god and who are called according to his purpose thank you church
1: All right, let's give it up for the Buffalo Adult and Teen Challenge Men's Choir and for the men that have shared their testimony here this morning. You know, that's part of the reason why we have guys do that is because we, re- we recognize that that is part of our responsibility as men and women of God, As God saves us not so we could stand before you and look all polished up, But God saves us, each and every one of us, so that we can be used as instruments in His hand. Because your testimony, whether it's your articulated testimony or in the manner in which you conduct yourself on a day-to-day purpose, that may be the very thing that God uses to draw somebody else to Him for His name's sake and for His glory. I love the ministry of New York Adult and Teen Challenge. Um, I love it because I am a product of it. I came to, I know a long time ago when I first started coming out here, I preached a sermon that had my testimony wrapped up in it. Um, But that's my testimony. My testimony is that I was a a 24-year-old junkie who knew how to do nothing good with his life except lay ruin to it. And my mother used to tell me, Dave, the reason you do the things you do is because God has created you with a hole in your heart that can only be filled with his love, the love of God. And I I fought against that. I denied it. I refused it. I ran from God. But then I met a man named Jesus after I walked through the doors of Teen Challenge and and my life was radically apprehended. And now God has given me a, a desire and a passion to help other people. So I was like, you guys ever heard of King Midas, everything he touched, he turned to gold? I was the opposite of that. Everything that I encountered, I brought death and destruction to, and I laid ruin to, and now God has afforded me the opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God, and I think, I think often we forget about what it is that God has done in our lives and what he has brought us out from, and the truth is that that isn't only for the drug addict and the alcoholic. The, the apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians tells us that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and when he penned that portion of scripture he wasn't only talking to drug addicts and alcoholics he was talking to everybody in the church at Ephesus you were all dead in your trespasses and sins even those that have been brought up in the church those who have kept the law those who have walked in obedience to what God has called them to walk in there was a time when we were dead in our trespasses and sins but God because of his great love for us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive in Christ It is by God's grace that we have been saved. It is by God's grace that I stand before you this morning. And it is by God's grace that we are able to do what it is that God has called us to do on a day-to-day basis. So, as you can tell, I have a tendency to get a little bit excited about the implications of the gospel. I'm going to ask for forgiveness beforehand. I am a little bit under the weather Um, this morning, if it wasn't for this obligation, I probably, uh, I probably wouldn't have been at church if I didn't have to minister, but I am grateful for the opportunity to be here, stand behind this sacred desk and to minister the word of God. So if you see me nursing my bottle of water a little bit more than normal, if you see me pausing, it's because, uh, I'm hurting a little bit physically, but my spirit is alive and well and ready to get to work. So I'm going to be preaching out of a portion of Scripture today that is a familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, The guys in the program are saying, oh, here we go again with his whole familiar portion of the Scripture spiel. The reason why I like... Preaching out of familiar portions of scripture is because I believe that sometimes things become so Christian-easy to us as men and women of God that we fail to realize some of the spiritual implications and some of the importance of the teachings behind some of the things we read. And that is one of these. That is one of those portions of Scripture. Uh, this is, it, it's an act that Jesus performs. We hear it repeated often in our, in our culture. I've been to weddings where I've seen uh, brides and grooms wash each other's feet on, in front of the church. As a, as a sign and witness of their dedication and commitment to serving one another. So today we're going to look at the portion of Scripture where Jesus washes His disciples' feet. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. Amen. And if I had to put a title on this... Message I would call it our example because we know Christ is our ultimate example, and that is who we are to strive to imitate and to live as ambassadors for. So, John chapter 13, I'm going to be reading from verses one through five. I'm going to skip Peter's little conversation with Jesus. In the next couple of verses, and then I'm going to come back around to John chapter 13, verses 12 to 17. Dave, why are you skipping that chunk of Scripture in between because there is like two or three sermons that could be preached out of that text alone. So I'm going to preach on Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the example that were left here in Scripture. So the Word of the Lord declares in John chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the very end. I'm sorry then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around himself we're going to skip to verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what I have done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so I am if I then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. Heavenly Father, Lord God, it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we pray. We thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you for your word that you have left us, Lord God, so as men and women of God, we don't have to try to figure out how to live this Christian life on Our own, but you have left us thorough instruction how we are to live a life in pursuit of you, Lord God. I pray for the next couple of moments that you will just use me as a mouthpiece to articulate the very thing that you would have your children to hear on this morning, Lord God. I pray that you will send your spirit before the words to turn up the fallow ground in our hearts so that the seeds of your word may fall on fertile soil and that they will bear much fruit. We bless you on this day. We ask that you'll have your way in Jesus' name. We pray and all God's people said Amen. Chapter 13 marks the beginning of the second half of the Gospel of John. This includes Jesus' farewell dialogue as well as the passion narrative. To many people, the Gospel of John is considered the most intense and spiritual of all of the Gospels. Here perhaps more than any other scripture, the child of God hears the voice of Jesus leading them into a greater understanding of their new place before the Father and their new position in the world as a follower of Jesus Christ. Chapters 13 through 18 contain teachings about heaven, the new commandment, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the mutual union of Christ and the disciples, as well as teachings on prayer. Here... In this portion of Scripture, Jesus, the head of the church, speaks to those who are the church and assures them of His special and enduring love for them. If you look at verse 1 of our text, John refers to Jesus' followers as being His own. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. So before we move on and we look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I just want to take a couple of minutes to establish who Jesus is talking about when he calls the disciples his own. So who is Christ's own? And this is easy for us to figure out because John has answered this question numerous times in his gospel before we get to this portion of Scripture. In chapter 6, verses 37 and 44, they are those who have been given to Christ by the Father. In chapter 10, verses 11 and 15, they are those for whom Christ is about to go and die. In chapter 1, verse 13, they are those who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In chapters 10, 28 to 29, they are those whom Christ gives eternal life, and the Word tells us that they will never perish, and therefore the Word of the Lord tells us that no one will ever snatch them from christ's hand they are those who have placed their faith in the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ and have been empowered by the spirit of god to live a life of surrender to the call and commission of jesus christ and ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9 tells us that our salvation is all a gift from god it's not a result of works so that no man should boast and that is The gospel message, it is, is is that there's nothing that we can do to put us in right standing with God. The only thing that puts us in right standing with God is our faith in the accomplished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. When you place your faith in Christ on Calvary's cross and His accomplished work, our Father in heaven looks at us clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and that's why we can live in relationship with Him. That's the exchange that took place. What an unfair trade, Pastor Jeff, right? Jesus takes on his shoulders when he was on the cross the punishment for our sin, our shame, our guilt, our wicked hearts. The full wrath of God, whom he pleaded with to have removed from his lips before he went to the cross, That's what He takes on His shoulders for us. And what He gives us is His robe of righteousness that He just spent 33 years earning before the Father. And all we need to do is place our faith in Him and that robe is gently draped around our shoulders and we stand before the Lord as if we've never sinned. Folks, if that doesn't get you excited... If that doesn't get you excited, you need to check your pulse. Because that is what Christ has done for us because of his great love. That is the gospel message. And that is is who this instruction of the gospel of John is written to. It's written to those who have placed their faith in the accomplished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. So if you have done that, listen up. Here in chapter 13, Jesus is spending his last full night with his disciples as his crucifixion is rapidly approaching. He had many things he still wanted to teach the disciples, and he began this teaching not with words that might have been missed, but with significant action, and that was the washing of the disciples' feet. This is one of Jesus' most significant teachings, and as his followers, there is much that we can learn and glean from it. So let's begin to unravel what occurred in this portion of Scripture. I want to take a look at three specific aspects behind Jesus' object lesson that he left for his disciples and for us as followers of Christ. So this was his last lesson. It's amazing. Just uh, the harmony of the Word of God. So this is his last message that he shared with the disciples before his crucifixion. What was the last thing that he shared with his disciples before he returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's the Great Commission. So here, he gives us an example of humility and our need to serve one another as Christians, and then he ties that together with the Great Commission, which is to articulate the work of Christ and the gospel as far as the ends of the earth may go. So the first thing that I want to look at is one of the motivations behind Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Why did he do it? He did it, first and foremost, because he needed to get the disciples' attention. You see, they were distracted. We know this because we've been told in the Gospel of John that they were terrified of the Jewish leaders. They suspected that Jesus was about to be arrested, and they were afraid that he would die and that they would die along with them. They were right. Nothing in their present circumstance had prepared them to hear the teaching that he was about to give. So what Jesus did as a good teacher is he acted boldly to get their attention. He got down on his hands and his knees and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And in order to truly appreciate what Jesus is doing here in this portion of Scripture, you got to understand the culture that it took place in. You see, in antiquity, in in, in the times of Jesus, people walked long distances on dusty roads. And it was custom for the host to arrange for water to be made available for his guests to have their feet washed upon arrival. But you see, this was a remarkable act because the washing of people's feet was a task for a slave, not a distinguished rabbi. This was a task reserved for the lowliest of menial servants. The truth is peers didn't even wash one another's feet. In fact, most Jewish individuals insisted that Jewish slaves should not wash other people's feet and that this was a task that should only be reserved for Gentile slaves. This is an act that would warrant the attention of those who were sitting around the table with Jesus and it should demand our attention as well. So the disciples were preoccupied So Jesus radically apprehended their attention. The second thing I want to look at is another one of his motivations. And the second motivation we pulled directly from the text. Let's take a look at verse 3. John chapter 13 verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So we gather three things from this verse about Jesus' state of mind when he performed this action. First, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, which speaks of Jesus' authority. Second, Jesus Jesus also knew that he had come from God, which speaks of his divinity. And third, Jesus knew that he was on the verge of returning to God, which speaks of his future glory. So it wasn't in his forgetfulness of who he was and where he was and what he was doing that Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet, but rather it was in full consciousness of it. He did not forget that he was God, so he humbled himself by washing the disciples' feet. It was because he was God and wished to act as God that he performed this act to be an example to his disciples and to his followers. He understood who He was. And He desired to use that authority to give an example to His followers in that moment. He didn't use the fact that He was the Son of God to become puffed up and haughty. He used it to be an example of humility and to be a testimony of what it means to be a follower of Christ in our service of one another. So the disciples were preoccupied Jesus radically apprehended their attention. Jesus knew who He was. He knew whose He was. And He knew where He was going. The third and final thing that we notice in this portion of Scripture is that Jesus, what He was doing, was giving a dramatic illustration of His entire ministry. you got to watch this. He was not just simply giving His disciples an example of humility. Although this is an extraordinary example of humility, This isn't all that he was doing. He was showing them exactly what he had come into this world to do and also what he would send them into the world to do as well. If we look at verse 4 in chapter 13, the word of the Lord tells us Jesus rose from supper. Then he laid aside his outer garments and then he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. Then he took water and he poured into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. First, John tells us that he rose from supper. This had already been done in a far greater way when Jesus left his throne of glory to come into this world. Second, he laid aside his garments. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, that when Jesus came into the world, he laid aside his glory. He laid aside his glory, not his divinity, because there are people who will say that Jesus left his divinity in heaven. That's not accurate. He laid aside his glory. Thank you. If I stopped moving my hands so much, I probably wouldn't sweat as much. But it's a a byproduct of being from Long Island, you know? (laughs) Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, that when Jesus came into the world, he laid a... The reason why... (laughs) The reason why I need to say something when somebody does that is because'm I get I have really, really bad ADHD and I get so distracted by the simplest things, so I've learned just to thank the person who addressed them giving me the towel and try to instead of trying to pretend that it didn't happen. it just works better that way. <laughs> Second, so first, John tells us he rose from supper. Second, he laid aside his garments. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, that when Jesus came into the world, he laid aside his glory so that he could appear as a true man. Next, he took a towel and wrapped it around himself. This was the garb of a servant, a role that Paul says Jesus took upon himself. Finally, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Just as in a few short hours, he was to pour out his blood for the washing away of human sin and atonement. And finally, we find the conclusion of this parable in verse 12. John tells us that when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. We know... That Jesus, after Jesus accomplished His work here on earth as the incarnate Son of God, He returned to heaven to reign and rule as King at the right hand of the Father. The writer of Hebrews confirms this in chapter 1 verse 3 where he wrote, After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Jesus resumes his place at the table and he begins to explain to disciples what he had just done. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. What Jesus is talking about here is humility and the need for God's people to take a servant's role. He is simply saying, if I, your master, have played the servant's role, you who are my servant should certainly play the servant's role with one another. We are to care for one another. We are to care for those who can no longer care for themselves. We are to get close to those who are suffering and do everything in our power to alleviate their suffering. We are to open our homes to the lonely. More importantly, this one sometimes is harder than charity. We are to hold our Christian brothers and sisters accountable and encourage them to walk above reproach. And if one of them stumbles or falls, we aren't supposed to look down our noses at them and ridicule them, but we are to do what we have been instructed by the Apostle Paul and restore them gently. It's easy for us to see other people's sin and to look down our nose at them for the things that we fall sh- that they fall short on. Because the truth is, is looking at other people is harder than looking at ourselves. And Jesus when he addressed the Pharisees for self-righteousness, he called them whitewashed tombs. That's who he came to speak against, ladies and gentlemen. He came to speak against the spirit of religion, against the Pharisees who who looked all polished up on the inside, but on on the outside, but on the inside they were dead and they were rotting. They were dependent upon what they did on a day-to-day basis to put them in right standing with God without realizing how far their hearts really were. So how do we do that? How do we restore? How do we hold individuals accountable? How do we restore those caught in trespasses and sin gently? It's with the Word of God. We take the Word of God and then we gently apply it to our brother or sister that they, may, or that they might respond to it by the grace of God. Because the truth is, it's only the grace of God that gives an individual the ability to hear the word of God and to respond to it. That's it. There's, we cannot force people into listening to what we have to say. But that doesn't negate our responsibility to tell them. But we tell them, in truth, and we tell them in love, and we tell them with grace, and we tell them with the hope that they will realize the way that they're looking at a situation is incorrect. That's why when I sit with men in the program, if I'm going to counsel somebody in the program, I first need to know whether or not they've made a commitment to live for the Lord, if they are a Christian. Because me breaking out my Bible and trying to counsel somebody scripturally who isn't a Christian is pointless. It's pointless. But if you are a Christian and you have made that declaration, that's why I tell the men, when they get baptized, you're, 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 it, you're in it now, right? Because what is baptism? Baptism is a, an outward expression of an inward change that's taken place. What it really is is you're telling the body of Christ that they're now allowed to hold you responsible. Because if you're going to say you're a Christian, As a fellow Christian, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that your Christian walk is painting an accurate picture of what it means to be a Christian. Because I don't want, I don't like it when Christians are called hypocrites. I don't like it when Christians are called Bible thumpers. I don't like it when people say Christians are self-righteous. Because I'm a Christian and I strive not to be that. So if you're going to get baptized and you're going to make that outward declaration of an inward experience, you need to get ready because men and women of God who take the call of God seriously are going to start to hold you accountable or they ought to start to hold you accountable for the way you conduct yourself on a day-to-day basis. So that's how we do it. We restore them gently with the word of God. But I want you to pay special attention to the word gently here. In his commentary on these verses, Harry Ironside says that if we're going to wash one another's feet, we ought to pay attention to the temperature of the water. You would not go to anyone and say, here, put your feet in this bucket of scalding water. Nor would you ask him to put his feet in a bucket of ice water. It's just as bad to be too hot in approaching another person as it is to be too cold and too formal. He says that sometimes Christians attempt to cleanse without water at all. They try to dry, clean feet. They scrape them free of dirt, but unfortunately, sometimes they take the skin with it as well. But instead of this approach, we who are true followers of Christ are to approach individuals meekly and out of love. This is the example in this portion of Scripture that we have been given by Jesus Himself. And He did it so that we would understand our call to serve one another as the body of Christ. And there's an unavoidable truth here in this portion of Scripture. And that unavoidable truth is that we have, we have been sent to be servants. So as far as, listen to what I'm saying, listen to what I'm saying. So as far as God is concerned, the role of a servant is not one by any means that is optional for us. This is a mandate. This is a mandate if you are if you are, there's a saying that we, that we say to guys in tea Challenge. Saved people serve. People who are saved understand their responsibility and their role to be servants within the kingdom of God. So this isn't optional. This is an assignment that we have been given by our Creator. And it would be in our best interest to recognize that and to do so willingly. It's our assignment, just as it was also the assignment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus concludes this object lesson by telling his disciples, if you know these things, talking about all of the things that he just talked about, referring to his instruction in verses 14 and 15, and you do them, so it's not only about knowing, but it's about doing, that you will be blessed. And you got to understand what blessed in this portion of Scripture means. Blessed in this portion of Scripture means that your soul will be satisfied. As you make the decision to serve one another, your souls will find its ultimate satisfaction in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's that, that's that cosmic shift that has to take place in the life of a converted individual. Because what we're taught, what the world teaches us is the more that we get and the more that we can have people do for us and the more we acquire, the happier we'll be. And here in this portion of Scripture, Jesus is saying, wrong. It's not right. The more you do for other people, the happier you will be. The more you do for other people, the happier you will be. And it's not just about happiness, because happiness comes and goes. That's why That's why the word isn't happy here. The word is blessed. And what Jesus is saying is that you will find your ultimate satisfaction in living for Christ and making that evident by your works and your service of one another. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that man's chief end is to glorify God. Chief end. That's... The ultimate reason, if you ever wonder why you were created, it's because God desires for your life to bring him glory. How dare he do that? He's creator, he is sovereign creator. He is God who has. Put the stars in the sky. He is God who tells the ocean where to stop. He is God who reigns sovereignly and providentially over your lives. The word of the Lord tells us that not even a leaf falls from a tree to the ground without God being aware of it. And He is a God that has created you and desires for you to live for His glory. But what's the second part of that confession of faith? It's to enjoy His presence forevermore. So if you want to live in the full satisfaction of life as a part of the body of Christ, you need to start serving. And I know that that looks different for everybody. But you need to look for ways where you could get plugged in, where you could serve the body of Christ, where you could serve your neighbor, husbands, Serve your wife, wives, serve your husband, children, serve your parents, serve your siblings. Because everybody is so caught up on trying to figure out how to be happy and looking at all of these ancillary things for happiness when the truth is it's simple. It's a live a life of service in the kingdom of God to those in your sphere of influence. And Jesus has told us you will be blessed. Amen. That's it, Pastor Doug. Okay. Yep.